0: What's up coaches? I uh, just want to say happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. I uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed it, enjoyed some time with your kids uh, and all those uh, coaches out there that aren't technically dads or their own kids. Uh, happy Father's Day to you guys too. Uh, it's a big deal uh, what a lot of you guys do for the kids that come through our programs that that need a father figure, that need a dad, that need somebody to show them what a man is supposed to look like. So happy Father's Day to you guys as well. Uh, This episode of the podcast is powerfully brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication, offering cutting-edge technology and innovation. Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their program to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. Family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com, email them at info at sidelinepower.com, or give them a call at 800-496-4290. This episode is also brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. We use it at Broken Arrow with my offensive line uh, for the last two years, and, it, and it's been incredible. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today, to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. Visit Team Attack Academy at teamattackacademy.com. Also, guys, don't forget to go check out CoachTube. Uh, Obviously, I've got uh, my weak power course on there, and I'm working on some other courses here in the next several months, hopefully to uh, throw up there. Our former Guest, Slade Singleton, has uh, a couple different uh, courses that I'm working through right now. He's got his Rule of Four, his Air Raid DNA, and his All-22 Spread Offense. Uh, Future guest, Dave Christensen, I'm about to start going through his course as well. He's got his entire offensive line system. Uh, He's going to meet with us, or he's going to be on an episode here in the next several months, and so uh, I'm looking forward to going through his entire offensive line system as well on Coach Tube. and then as I told you guys, the one I've gone through already is Gus Malzon's spread no huddle offense, which again, really cool to hear about the spread no huddle offense from from one of the first, one of the guys, right, Gus Malzahn, so a lot of good stuff over on Coach Tube. make sure you guys go over there uh, and check it out. That'll do it for the reads On this episode of RTP, we talk with Terrence Banks. Coach Banks is the head coach at Newton High School in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen as we talk with Coach Banks about becoming a head coach, uh, maintaining a winning and proactive culture, and simplifying your offense for your players. Uh, This was an awesome, awesome uh, episode that we got to do. Uh, we learned so much from Coach Banks. It was great listening to to such a great head coach and and learning everything we could from him. So we're really excited about putting this episode out there, guys. Uh, we've had it here for a month or so now, so uh, we're, we're happy we get to send it out to you guys and you guys get to hear uh, some of the knowledge that Coach Banks uh, bestows upon us. So um, excited for this one. You guys can follow Coach Banks on Twitter at tbanks1906. Hope you guys enjoy. We're excited to talk football with you, but we'll, we'll get it going. So, uh try to respect your time a little bit. So um, if you want to, just kind of start off talk to, uh, talk to our listeners a little bit about um, what you're doing now and, and kind of how you got to that point as far as. Um, you know, obviously going through, uh, your playing days and then, and then now, uh, working your way up and now coaching, um, coaching football.
1: Well, wow. Um, <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't start off, uh, in life wanting to be a football coach. I wanted to be a teacher for that matter. I went to school, um, when I left high school, went to college and, and played a little bit, wanted to be a computer scientist. But I ended up being a volunteer coach at my little brother's high school His uh, single year. And it was, you know, the thrill of the life to be around young men and to talk to them and mold them. And every day was something different. So um, I was reminded of something my elementary teacher told me. He said, find happiness. And that's what led me to becoming a teacher. And so I was able to, when I graduated, got a job teaching mathematics at my alma mater and where I graduated high school from. And I did that for three years and I moved on and it's been an interesting journey, um, my coaching career, to how I got to even where I'm at now. Um, coaching at my alma mater was, was fun, going back and working as a peer with a lot of teachers that taught me. That was a very fun and interesting um, experience in itself, and even you know being immersed in trying to uh, turn my alma mater back around. Um, we had fell on hard times after I graduated. Before, When I graduated, we had been to the playoffs every year in the school's existence. The year after I graduated, they didn't make the playoffs, so it it, it went the opposite way. Um, like I said, we we're on spring break here in Atlanta, and just, you know, you talk about progression of life and just meeting interesting people. When I left my arm I went to work at a high school, Berkmore High School, which is here in Metro Atlanta, Um and the starting quarterback, my first year there, was a young man named Gustavus um, Marshall, who's a rapper with the group Migos, um, goes by the name Quavo. So that is very interesting. That My first year, the fourth year coaching, um, leaving, going to a new school, that's the quarterback. Yesterday he had his birthday, and he had a big birthday party at his alma mater that it was cool to hang out with him and some of the guys I coached there. I was there for two years, and it was uh, – very interesting to, you know, to see that little did you know from about 10 years ago that coaching somebody and they were going to be this famous mega music star nine ten years later. Um, from there, I went to work as a guy I wanted to work for for a long time, a mentor of mine. I wanted to work under him because he was a really good, you know, football coach, really good builder, man. I think his career record is something like 97. And. 30 year. and we went to a school that had lost a lot of games and they had lost to a school that hadn't won a game in 40 in 40 attempts so they were the last school that that school beat and we were able to turn around that program and somehow some way by some stretch of their imagination uh, five years ago, Newton High School which is located covers in Georgia metro Atlanta decided to hire me as their head coach. And I don't know what I did to deserve it. It's probably been the biggest blessing in my coaching career. Um, They had two previous coaches who were turning the program around and kind of, you know, rebooting and putting them in the right direction. And I happened to get here at the right time. And uh, we've been blessed over the last five years. We've made the playoffs every year I've been here. We won our first school's region championship in 25 years. We won a state playoff game for the first time in school history, we made it all the way to the quarterfinals one year. So the last five years have been re- remarkable just, you know, as the head coach. I've had a chance to do things that I didn't even imagine I could do five years ago, no matter less, 14 years ago when I got into this, I had a chance to, to speak at coaches clinics at like University of Virginia. I had a young man that played in the Army All-American Bowl. So, I'm living out the dream as a coach, man, and then just, you know, working around kids is, like I say, been a blessing um, being here at Newton and even my whole career. Didn't think any of this was, was going to happen to me when I was a 22-year-old kid trying to decide did I want to work in a cubicle or did I want to teach kids um, Where I
0: made this decision.
2: Wow, where where do we start, Harper? I think we got to start with Quavo, don't we?
0: I think so. <laughs> how do you not? The, the biggest question for me is now. So you knew him as, and I can't remember what you said his, his actual name was, but um, that's obviously how you knew him. So, so how do you address him when you when you see him? Is it is it Quavo or is his actual name? Um, it's, it's
1: Quavo. Um, he, he, uh <laughs> you know, uh, we call him by the nickname he goes by, which is Hancho. So we. Uh, when you see him, you you know you say Huncho. Like I say, uh, the day at his alma mater yesterday was called Huncho Day. Wow! So I mean, you you gotta address him. He's a superstar now, so he has to be addressed <laughs> by proper name.
2: Sure. Now does he still call you sir? Stuff like that too, or coach?
1: Uh, it, it was coach. It was it was it was Banks. So it was it was cool. Just to, <laughs> to, you know, that's fine. He can call you know. That level of respect is still cool. They're still, still down to earth, guys. So it was, it was cool to to see and, and dap up just all those guys. That that's gonna I be knew exciting.
0: Like you said, to you know, go back to to the uh, give back to a school like that to have a whole day uh, for them. That's that's one of the cool things that I think really brings together a a high school is you know, and we have a we've had a few nothing like that, but at least a few athletes that have gone on to do some things, and when they come back, I know the kids just. Um, I just love when those when those guys come back and and appear and and it kind of gives them like okay yeah we we can uh, we can go do something with our lives as well at least at, at my high school.
1: Yeah, I mean he had a whole seven seven game, and I'm talking about Ezekiel Elliott, Julio Jones, Josh Norman, <laughs> and so
0: yeah.
1: you got all these guys, and you know we weren't very good when he was there. <laughs> I mean I think that year we went one and nine. We couldn't stop running water. um and we couldn't block for them so you know but it was fun uh you know that program had that program had won some games but then when we got there they had lost a whole bunch so they went one and nine that year and then the following year we ended up going four and six and and projecting that program back in the in the right direction but it was fun to be in the atmosphere with those kids and for those kids who don't usually see a lot of that um because in that in that area um the schools around win big. They don't win very much, so uh, just for that to happen to those kids and for him to do that was very big.
2: No, that's super cool. I think it's always awesome when those guys can get back and and show a lot of those kids hope. I mean, you know, obviously they're not all going to become you know mega mega multi millionaires and things like that, but at least you can show them that hey, man, you, you can you can grow up here, and, and a lot of these things can happen for you. It's not all all bad, you know. Yes.
0: How does it work in the in the Atlanta area? Is it um, obviously is is it a bunch of really big schools? I mean, um, or is it really split up as far as like here in in Tulsa? I know it's uh, we got pretty much all the same size schools. So it's six A is the biggest in Oklahoma. So for the most part, all the Tulsa schools are all six A. Where I think when I was in Houston, there was a little bit more diverse, diversity as far as like there's a couple six A schools in Houston, a couple three A schools, and then honestly some of the really big ones were the uh private schools
1: well so um in metro Atlanta, it it depends on the area and the county so where i grew up at the the first schools they go all the way we got seven classes now in georgia they and and where i grew up at you have they got like one seven eight schools majority of them are six through two A. in the county where i live um they're all seven A except for one. So the smallest school in the county I live in is kinda like Tulsa. The smaller school has seventeen hundred kids. So they're pushing seven A. Where I'm at in Newton, um, and where I work at in Newton, which is about fifteen, twenty minutes from my house, Newton has we so we're the biggest school in our county. We have Newton High School and we've got twenty four hundred kids. Then we get a high school with nineteen hundred and another school with fourteen hundred. So it kind of depends on where you're at, but so the perfect example would be in 7A class. We've got 48 schools. Out of that 48 schools, 44 of them are located in Metro Atlanta.
2: Gee so the wow.
1: other four schools not in 7A, they're South Georgia schools. And they are, when I say South Georgia, we play one for not playing them this year, not because I don't want to, but because we found, kind of found somebody else to play. They're probably about three and a half hours from us, and they're a 7A school. So um, those three South Georgia schools are are far away from the metro Atlanta area. So and um, but we're hoping our reclassification in in Atlanta, we're stuck somewhere between pushing towards the Texas model and then pushing towards the the Alabama Florida model, which is um, trying to, I guess, even everybody out and and not have schools that are we've got some schools that have one school has 4000 kids in it that. And 2,000 is the lowest in 7A. And so they don't want, you know, a school with 4,000 playing against a school with 1,500. So sure. that's kind of what our state is having to work on.
0: Hmm. That, that's interesting. That's crazy. There's, I mean, obviously a ton of people in such a huge city, but that's um, that's a lot of, of 7A schools just all in that one same area. Uh, is it is it kind of zoned? Because, again, here in Tulsa, it's kind of wherever you're zoned, that's where you go. There's maybe one magnet school, I think. Booker T. Washington, but for the most part, where you live is, is kind of where you go, where it seemed like in Houston, they they could kind of pick and choose a little bit more. Now, I think they still had to kind of be zoned, but there was a little bit more of a choice in the Houston area.
1: Well, in Atlanta, um, it's more of where you zone, you go. It is some flexibility and leeway in that. just the best way of putting it, but for the most part, um, wherever you li- where you live, you have to go, and and for the most part, most of our schools are huge. But I think, without a shadow of a doubt, you know, people gravitate towards certain schools that have always won and always win. It it kind of depends on where you're at.
2: Sure. And what are the, coach? What are the the big counties there in Atlanta? I know I've 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 studied a little bit just because of of recruiting and things like that. Is it, is it Gwinnett County?
1: Gwinnett is huge. I I actually live in Gwinnett. Gwinnett is huge. We play at Newton. We play the Gwinnett County schools in our region. But um, Gwinnett County will probably sign – gosh, they'll probably have 35, 40 guys go FBS
2: at minimum,
1: at minimum every signing class. One of the schools in our region, they'll probably have – in this class they got coming up, they got 81 seniors coming up. They'll probably have 15 of those guys go – FBS and probably about ten of those guys go power five and I'm probably lowballing it.
2: So and then um, is it and then what's the other one is it is it Marietta County or Fulton County?
1: Well Fulton County and then you have Cod County. Cod County has Okay Kyle, yep. a they have a they have a, a, a big size. Fulton is kinda low in six A and where I grew up the cab which touches Gwinnett, they're probably the the one with the most variation, but they out with put out a lot of a lot of good talent out of DeKalb County. So DeKalb, Fortin, Gwinnett is kind of the hub and cop of where you – I think every school in the southeast, up north, they all recruit that hotbed of those counties. They're definitely going to stop by there. There's no doubt about it.
0: Uh, one of our former guests and then also my roommate in, in college, he's actually from – he played at Roswell High School. So I think that's uh, north, north of Atlanta a little bit. But
1: Yep, North Fortin.
0: Yep. Yeah, he still said he was, he still said he was from Atlanta, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all idea. we going. all do. That's we right. all do. If you're in Metro Atlanta, Metro Atlanta is funny because if you're 30 minutes from downtown, everybody you you always say you're from Atlanta. You're and from you, Atlanta. You got that <laughs> you got people that start the argument. Well, you're not really from Atlanta. Can you say that? Can you not say that? That whole nine. But
0: uh, that was the same I mean, way it, in Houston.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it depends, you know. And what's funny is. On a good day, on a good day, for example, I took, I, said, I took the boys to Georgia State, which is in downtown Atlanta today, to watch practice. Yep. And so school's out pretty much for the whole metro Atlanta for spring break. So there was not, almost no traffic. We probably got down there in 30 minutes, 30, 35 minutes. We're in downtown Atlanta. On a normal morning, Gee. there's no way you're getting downtown in 30, 35 minutes from Newton. No. So it's easy to say you're in metro Atlanta, but – 30 minutes is kind of the time frame everywhere. You say, Hey, how long did to get somewhere? 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, it's 30 minutes almost the base. Yeah. That's <laughs> almost the base minimum. Wow.
0: Yeah, that, that's right. Um, well, th- that's kind of interesting to me, you know, being, I would assume so- somewhere close to Georgia tech. That was always, when I was growing up, that was, you know, kind of where I wanted to go out of high school. I wanted to go to Georgia tech, obviously, wasn't good enough to do that, but it was always interesting to me. So I, I don't know what kind of offense you guys do run, but is there some is there some things that you can take from that offense? Is there do you guys still visit Georgia Tech, or is it so um, you know one way offensively that there's not a whole lot to gain from that from going to Georgia Tech and, and studying from those guys?
1: Well, I will say this: I, I'm a Georgia Tech guy because. Um, I, I always wanted to go to school at Georgia Tech. I ended up going to Morehouse College, but that was it. Was those two were my top schools? My wife is actually a Georgia Tech graduate, so I'm a Georgia Tech guy. I love Georgia Tech, everything about Georgia Tech. Uh, we have two players from who play for me that currently play for Georgia Tech. We're a, we're a we're a shotgun spread team, but the, I, I tell people all the time. I used to coach the flexbone. At my alma mater, it's what we ran. We ran the flex ball, and I think even in our shotgun spread systems, it's still triple option-based, and yep. it's still about having the answer. I mean, we're going to run the zone reading. We're going to throw a key or a bubble screen, whatever you want to call it. That's still triple option. The only difference now is the quarterback pitching the ball every time. He's just looking out there, and he's throwing the ball. And so it's still the same principles. I'm, I'm a mathematics guy by trade, and so to me – the easiest way to, to to play offensive football is to count numbers. It's real simple. If you got an advantage, you go there. And so, you know, to to me that makes the most sense. I could be wrong, but I, 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 it's always good to go and watch. I think there's certain things from their practice that you can learn, even mm-hmm. though they're triple option based.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the mistakes. And we've, we've had, you know, a, a ton of guests on. The, the big mistake you make is you try to go to some of these places and, and you are just making it scheme based. You know, the cool stuff you pick up is always gonna be a coaching cue, you know, or a drill or two, or how do they outline practice or how are they getting their younger guys reps. I mean, to me that's always kinda of the gold you get. So, you know, it wouldn't matter to me if they were running the double wing offense, I'd probably be able to pick something up from it.
1: And I definitely think you're right as you get into to this phase of the game and you spend a lot of time talking to other coaches about how do they practice, what do they do, what are their peers, do you understand, why they do it that way, is it a drill? And, for example, Georgia Tech blocks a lot with wide receivers. So when I go to Georgia yeah. Tech, I go watch the receivers because uh, if, you can't, you know, if you can't block, you're not going to play receiver in the spread. Or if that coach plays you, then he really shouldn't be playing you because <laughs> we're going to throw – the bubble key screen, the now screen, hundred times a game. So if you can't block it, block. It, you don't touch the rock. So I think that's. I think coaches. You can always learn when you go visit somebody. You just have to know and be available to what's out there and what you're looking for.
0: Are there a lot of teams that run the uh, flexbone around uh, Atlanta because of the Georgia Tech influence? Because I know um, we had um, one of my buddies on that he went to Pitt State, and you know they were. I think they were what. Two back veer, I think um, but then also all the schools around Pittsburgh State were running the same thing, so is there a big influence of that around Atlanta, or is it um you know mostly spread kind of like you see in a lot of the the southern uh states?
1: mostly spread everybody um i and definitely I think he's a great coach, so I think Tony Franklin kind of you know solidified this whole area. Sure with the with the spread that kinda caught on and then you had disciples of Tony that worked here, Matt Moore, um, guy named Bob Spire who came from Kentucky who worked with him and, and brought that to Metro Atlanta. And so everybody around Metro Atlanta, Rush process is here now in Georgia. Everybody around here now is pretty much spread. I mean you get some that are wing T elements, but now they're even in the gun. So The Georgia Tech offense as a whole, the flexible triple option. There are a few schools that run it. You see it, but it's most of the time that's that's not what you see. You're gonna see some type of spread formation um, that's kind of prevalent now for most people here in Metro Atlanta.
0: Coach, you talked about how much you know. You're a mathematics guy by trade, so obviously, um, and I'm sure you wouldn't say this about yourself, but obviously, you know, a very intelligent person very cerebral i'm sure um so one of the things i kind of noticed that that seems to be the most difficult for these coaches so i'm really interested to see how you how you helped yourself do this is someone that is really cerebral and incredibly intelligent is to be able to get their kids to learn what they want them to learn because sometimes it seems so easy to a uh, cerebral coach to to um to them where it may be a little more difficult some of their kids that that aren't up to that level so did you kind of notice that as you first started coaching and then what are some things that you did to not necessarily water it down but try to get it to communicated to kids that maybe don't get it as quickly or see it as well as you do
1: well i think the, the the biggest thing and i think we all and i tell this to myself um and i work with a a good guy or a good friend of mine and we were kind of we had the same philosophies but we were kind of polar opposite and and our, our running joke for, for him would be to put put our shackles on my mind. And then <laughs> my running joke to him would to be to be more aggressive. So you have to, you know, get things into a manner to where you can actually follow the kids' philosophy and get your kids to understand. And and I think that the biggest thing that you do is making it simple for them to learn and then involving them in the process. And, and then the, the biggest question is why. And so, you know, I, 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 you know, when you're – I mean, you can go back to even when you just having a group position meeting, how you present stuff in your classroom. I think everything goes back to that as teachers. You have to ask yourself, how do you get your kids to, to understand things? If you've got a smart board in your classroom and you use eight different colors to do a math problem, why don't you draw up your plays in eight different colors in, mm-hmm. the, in the sense mm-hmm. of why don't you draw up what you're doing as far as how they're blocking and who they're blocking. I understand the difference between the blocks and, and the halo and, and the things of that nature and in the, in the heart that you you have to understand it that way. Use video to show the kids um, what you're doing. We use a lot of video. Once you get, once you got clips, show the kids the clips, show them the play diagram. Them. We, I do, you know, talk about moving into the 21st century with stuff and, my defensive coordinator, I love him. He's a he's a very detailed guy. I'm trying to get him out of this year um, giving our scouting reports on on paper. And I yes. we would I would I would screencast, so I screencast <laughs> everything. Yep. I'm like our kids are visual; they listen, they watch. You got to do things of that nature. So I think that's a, a, a you know a big way to, to do it. And and I think it, with anything it's, it's okay to, you know, we got into, I got into this whole craze of when I was first. Get into it. I want to go fast, 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 fast. Well, I, you know, I when people ask me, for example, even what offense we run, I always say that we're a no huddle spread team. And I always tell people I intentionally leave out the word tempo because mm-hmm. we really don't go fast. There periods, but we don't. We're not fast every play. That's it's not our parameter. That used to be. If we just go fast enough. We we'll tired them out. You, you learn through experience. And so it has to be times where you slow down and teach kids things and then you speed it up and you're trying to get them to understand the time and the place for everything. So I think anything that you can do to, to reach your kids. I mean, I, I carry my iPad with me. The kids ask me why I'm not the cool coach with the iPhone. And I have a galaxy note because I said, I got this, this pen where I can just draw stuff for you guys in different colors. Better and they believe think it. it's stupid. They think it's stupid, but I think it's the best thing in the world. (laughs) So, um, you know, things of that nature, I think, you know, are important.
0: you carry that around at practice?
1: Oh, I do. I'm going to tell you what I I like better, and I would encourage this for any coach that could. I'm still kind of old school in that regard in the sense of um, I've got to do a better job of it, which I I like to take notes in a little notepad Hmm, and scribble them down. But if we got to draw something up, I will definitely draw something up there and i've even you know we've got the ipads now if i can screenshot some of the an ipad and draw it up we will as well and i think you anything that you can do to use all the disposable technology because that's what our kids are into you it's got it's got, about, it's got to be about them not how we learn how they learn and how can we reach them because if you're not reaching them then you're not going to be successful
0: that's a great point, and, and I want to kind of – sorry to cut you off walls, but I, I kind of like to kind of get back into um, you talking about t- keeping a notepad out at practice. I hadn't heard someone say this yet, and I've seen a couple of college coaches jotting different things down, and then our head coach jotting things down, but I've never, never I guess, had the nerve to ask, what are you guys writing? So what are you, what are you looking for? What are, what are some things sometimes that you find yourself writing down uh, out of practice Well, you I think see so from you- film maybe?
1: Right. Well, I say. Hey, well, not even see. We we forget, we forget. stuff, and you forget yep. the moment and, and how it made you feel and why you felt that way. So I. So like for during the, we get ready to do spring football, and I've only got new notepads. Well, I, I want to write down everything. I, I'm trying to. We're gonna. You know, you're gonna script it because you're you're playing your team and and doing practice until you get to the spring game. So you're not worried about. You're, you're not worried about beating the opponent. You're worried about getting better, and so every little note that comes to mind, we didn't do this right. We didn't do that right. Our coach taught this. Why? We were running this coverage display. Why? Why didn't he check this? Um, he stepped over the line. Why didn't we address it? We need to go back and explain it. So, you know, as I'm getting more mature and older then I guess in his head coaching thing and, and even everything, anything that comes to mind, write it down, question everything, get answers. And sometimes we watch film, but what are you looking for? I think that's the, you know, it goes back to, you know, and uh, you, you, you work with them, so you know them well. It goes back to even dubbing the R4 process, even for game planning. Do you know what you're looking for? Why am I trying to watch 100 plays when five plays will tell me what I should be using in the run game? I don't need 100 plays. And so the same thing with practice. Can I write down five notes about five plays that will make a difference? Maybe I don't. I don't need to show the kids all 80 clips. I only need to show them five. But I need to know where I'm going. Why I need to show them that, and things of that nature. So just write it down. Jot it down. Quick notes, and so that you go back and you can review it. And it's good for yourself.
2: I I couldn't agree more. I think uh, you know a lot of times too at the at the end of practice. You know, it, it goes back to, you know, am I just kind of acting on default or acting on discipline? I think we had a guy on, and I've been getting into the to the Kite brothers, or the you know, the Brian Kite and them, Focus 3, and they're talking about, you know, are you just responding or do you actually have some discipline? And to me, when you're taking notes, you're being disciplined. So when I talk to the kids, I maybe have three, four, five points that I can talk to them about in practice and stuff that we need to get corrected because I'm going to forget it. Um, another coach that I studied, Don Meyer, who actually coached up in, in South Dakota, he's a basketball coach, a really, really good basketball coach. He used to carry around a tape recorder and he would actually say his notes into it. So it'd be the same thing. He'd see something happen during a game and he'd just say a couple quick notes. Hey, our, our post player is too high on this play, or whatever. Clinton, you click it off. And I think, you know, I, I kind of just got into the habit too of, of just carrying around a pen at all times. And if I'm writing stuff either on, you know, my play sheet my, my call sheet and it's always stuff that you can kind of go back to. Um, I, I think it's, it's an invaluable period too. And the last thing I'll say is, is a guy like coach Frost, you know, they do those fast, fast, fast tempo periods. And then they'd have a five minute slowdown where they'd actually go back and make corrections. And that's where you could go back and look at those notes too. So I think, I think you make some great points there, coach. I, I couldn't agree more, man. You
1: know, it's something we didn't do in, and I'm I'm asking myself how do we get back to it? Um Bronco Mendenhall at UVA, they do they do something that and I'm sure other schools do it, but I saw it from him and you know, now that I'm getting back into it and you talk about acting acting on discipline, is, is he you talk about being a total classroom teacher. So at mm-hmm. if you're a classroom teacher, you all know this whole in education, we're supposed to to after we give our ticket out the door, we're supposed to if we can go back and wrap up and see if our kids missed anything that needs to be taught during their spring practice, during the beginning of the season, they go back to individual or group the last five minutes of practice. And that's if I wrote down my notes, Yeah. Hey, this didn't look right. The wide receivers ran every slant wrong after what I taught. Why am I going to wait till tomorrow to do it? So they cut down five minutes and they kind of group up. And say after team and say, all right, what do we need to fix that happens today right now that we can talk about before we let them go home, and then we can reinforce it on film. And so um, I'm putting that out there, not because we did a good enough job of it, like with anything. We, 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 that's, I'm like any other coach. We get let's run five more plays, and you know we kind of got to start right. doing <laughs> that to yeah. to get back to let's fix the, the small things. And then the five more plays will take care of itself.
0: Well, Coach, you said you were kind of shocked or you acted like, you know, you didn't expect to get that first head coaching job that you got. Um, What made you decide, hey, this is – I kind of want to put in for this job. I want to be a head coach. And then what are some of the things that uh, maybe you learned those first few years that that you weren't prepared for or that you were like, oh, I I didn't even think this would be an issue or, or whatever?
1: Well, I, I knew I wanted to be a head coach. I, I just – I went to – and I did this intentionally. I went to work for, like I say, my mentor, the guy who I would say, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from coaching from. On that staff, we had – I worked at a school named Duluth High School under a man named Corey Jarvis, and we went four and six for three years. Now, to a lot of people, that won't sound like much, but when you realize that Duluth has not been four and six since we left, or they hadn't been four and six ten years before he got there. You'll <laughs> understand what the accomplishment it was to go four and six for three years, and the state champion. The state champion came out of our region all three years, so we had to play against. Um, I guess the biggest name well Alvin Kamar and Lorenzo Carr. They were both on the high school team. That was our rival high school. Um, we never beat them, but they won stay two years in a row. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the kind of yeah. that's the kind of talent that we were seeing. But was to go four and six and off his staff, he had four more assistants become head coaches. And so what I learned, the biggest thing I learned from him, and I think you you know, you guys understand this more than anything, going to work from him was the biggest thing that helped me because when I first got into this, I thought the path to being the head coach was having the title. I got to be an assistant head coach. I, I got to be a coordinator X, Y, and Z. Well, I, I was a passing game coordinator, wide receiver. And I mean, yeah, me and the OC did everything together, but it wasn't about titles. It was about learning and being around men who were very authentic in how they did stuff. So when I got to Newton, Newton was on the cusp. They had just went five or six. Yeah, I know they had a lot of guys interested in the job. I didn't know how good Newton could be when I got there. They had had some guys, and we do. We got some former players over the last five years who are in the league. I got two coaches on my staff who graduated with the previous head coach who played big-time college football. And so I was like, well, it be a good job. We'll be decent every year. They're starting to make the playoffs. Um, hopefully, it'll know, it'll we'll put a few kids in the college, yada, 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 yada. And so when in the, the the schools that were giving me high interest were the schools that were 0 and 10, 2 and 8, and here was this, quote, unquote, middle-of-the-road program. And I'm saying, quote, unquote, because that's where they had kind of been before I got there. And they hired me. And so the first year, for example, we went five or six. I was cool. We went five or six. We made the playoffs. We beat the school, Lowndes High School, which was like the biggest upset that year in the state. And so that people understand what that means is Lowndes High School is a Lowndes South Georgia football is like Texas football. At Lounge High School, they're going to be 20,000 people in the stands. We caught a bus ride for three and a half hours. We probably brought about 70 people. I had just lost my first game as a head coach to a 4A school. We're a 7A school. So nobody probably anywhere thought we had any chance. Lowndes beat people, you know, before they get to the reading schedule, 56-0 warm-up games. And here we are first year. We pull off a 13-12 upset of uh, <laughs> the number one team in the state, and it's 20,000 of them, and it's 50 of us. <laughs> and so for my school, we're a Title one school. So it's a money game. I tell people that all the time. There are schools in Georgia who pay – good five figures for you to come play them home and home both years. So, um, it got to be a rivalry after that game, but that was not the intended purpose (laughs) when we had first started to, to play them. But so then that second year we do the improbable, we go to the third round of the playoffs. Um, we beat the legendary Vidalta High School, first round of the playoffs at Vidalta. Nobody thought that was going to happen. You're not going to go to Vidalta, Vidalta and Lyons arrives. You're not going to go back down there and beat Vidalta. There's no way you beat Lyons last year. That was a fluke. We beat Vidalta on the road. Then we went two more, <laughs> and we get, and we went again, and we get to the third round of playoffs. So that's a shock. The following year, we win a Reading Championship. Newton hadn't done one and won one in 25 years, not since Jake Reed and Dale Carter played at Newton High School. So it's been 25 years you win a Reading Championship. So that was unexpected. So here's the biggest coaching mistake I made. And you talk about focus, tree, you talk about everything. And if I could tell any young head coach this one thing, the biggest mistake that I made was after that year, I thought we had arrived at this Nirvana spot. I thought we had just won a region championship. We had just been the third round of playoffs. The so next year we were going to have three guys that signed Power Five. We had an Army All-American coming up. We had about another – three guys that were going to go FBS and and the FCS. I thought we had arrived. We had reached the pinnacle. And then all of a sudden it's just going to click and we'll be playing possibly for a state championship and yada, yada, yada. I had my worst year as a head coach, not by record, but by year, that year, Hmm. because I thought that culture was static. And Mm -hmm. it is not, it will never be static. If you don't keep maintaining the same high standards you have, you can lose it all. And so that was a very rough year. And, I mean, we were ultra talented, um, uh, you know. So that's what I learned that year. And that's what I would tell anybody who wants to be a head coach. is not a first-year head coach. You can change your program tomorrow for good or bad. Whatever ideas, your purpose, your why, your standards, you better get them down. You better tie them together. You better figure them out. And you better make sure your coaches understand and see the vision. And you better hold it to everybody. And so what we learned from that year, two years ago, was after it didn't go the way we thought it would go, we got back to why are we here, what is our purpose, what are we going to be about, do we really live up to our mantra, which is which we weren't. And I had to examine that as a head coach that I had let that slide, and my assistants called me on it, my kids called me on it. I ended up having to call myself on it because, you know, I thought that we had reached, you know, this plateau of, "Well, we'll always be this good, and then we weren't. And so we had all this talent, and it didn't mesh well together. And so when people say that talent can't be overrated, I say, you need to have some, but, yeah, it can't be overrated. Because the best years we had came when the kids were nobodies. Now, some of these kids end up, they're playing on Saturdays now, but when we were winning and making the third round of playoffs, reading championship, nobody knew their name until after we did it. Mm. And so that's the biggest takeaway. And we kind of – we got back to that whole – what do we stand for? Who are we? What are we going to be about? And that's kind of maintained our program. This year we lost in the first round of the playoffs, unfortunately, but we had we were we were really good, and it was some injuries. No excuses. We just didn't do what we were supposed to be. We were some healthy kids, being away from this possibly being a different season, and it wasn't because we had the number of big name star. We had one kid that was a mega star, and he did everything right. It was he was the the, one of the best representations of a leader and a football player. So um I'm proudly to say that I think in a few years if you're watching clips in football and you hear about a defensive lineman named Darnell Jeffries, he's gonna be great, not because he's just a good football player, he's an even better person, his work ethic. And when you know I think that when we he helped us reestablish our culture. And so I think we'll be fine from this point on. But that's the biggest takeaway that I can get from coaches that culture is not static. You can you can ruin it and reset it in one day. And if you want to be good, you better set it right and keep pressing towards it. And we kinda of had to get back to that at noon. It's, it's
2: amazing. Not, I it's, was just gonna say it's amazing how like your your culture can take, you know, years of of grinding, you know, day after day after day. And then it's like you said, it, it can just deteriorate so dang fast. It's just amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean we I, I literally took my foot off the gas, to you know, didn't put the pressure on it and 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 it, it started to leak. And by the time I realized it, it was leaking, it wasn't a leak anymore, it was gushing. Hmm. Luckily my, my staff and I got back together and we've patched it back up and it's going back in the direction it's supposed to be. But it it can something you can build and it can completely go away and in one day, one year, it can go sliding back the other way fast.
0: Your, your defensive lineman that you talked about, your young kid, um, it, is it something that, you know, you talked about how good of a leader he is, he, he does the right things. Is that – obviously it's a little bit of both, but is that just something <laughs> no. that's, that's innate in a kid? Or is that something that you guys have really – you noticed how good he was going to be and you work with all your kids, but is that something that you really uh, stressed upon him was to be a good leader and, and try to build that into him? Or is that just kind of something that he came in with um, you know, from his parents and from his his bloodline.
1: I think it's I think it's both. You know, we've I've been you know it's so when I got to Newton, like I said, Newton had had guys that had went off and played college ball, but I had a I had a Division one football coach tell me that there was no more talent left at Newton. That um, it would be a while he thought before wow. we would have Division one talent. So. He was a, one of the schools that produced a lot of D1 talent. He was at that school, and he said, Coach, I'm looking through the books, and I don't see any of your guys, even by size, such and such, whatever. And so, look, I'll come see you next year. You just got there. Really figure out what you got, and I'll come back. And so he didn't even stop by my school. He was 15 minutes away. He didn't even come by. Wow. That stuck with me. That <laughs> stuck with me heavy my first year. So with one of my assistants who basically he's my – recruiting, coordinator, strength, conditioning guy. He's about – he works extremely hard. He has a lot of type. He works extremely hard. We came up – kind of. we kind of started branding our kids and, and giving them a mindset. And so – and you, you just have to make sure you keep your, your kids humble. And so, like, if you would go on Twitter right now and do the hashtag New boys, that's what we call our boys, our alumni, the guys who played for us the whole nine. And, and so after that, it was kind of a calling card. And I told the kids, I said, guys, look, we got to do something different because there's some college coaches who don't believe that you're going to go. Now, there's one of two things you can do. You can leave and go somewhere else because they can tell you right now, I can't get this guy to come by school. Or you can stay here and we're going to make people come by school. And so m- most of them, 99% of them stayed. And, you know, that's why we've we got young men playing that started in South Carolina and West Virginia and Georgia and Georgia Tech, and we can keep going now at Clemson. So. But I think the whole leadership and getting kids to buy in, the standard is the standard. And you talk about, and people think it's always funny, all these stuff that Brian Kite says, Coach Randy Jackson, um, you know, even the standard that you guys have. And you can see it in what you guys have at Broken Arrow. You can see what you guys had at Jinx. You can see those standards and and the things that we say and, 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 you know, and what they mean. And we had to get back to that. You know, our mantra, for example, is bring the hammer. Well, what does it mean to bring the hammer? You know, and I had to explain to our kids. That's our mantra because, uh, you know, when you have a sledgehammer, a man who works a job with a sledgehammer on a train track is working a very labor-intensive job. He has to get up and go to work every day. And then when we had injuries and when we talked about um, being – you talk about effort and being committed. We came up with things like ignore the circumstances, the next man up. So you got to ignore the circumstances. Now we got back to being all of those things. And we explained to our kids why we say it, what they mean. And it put us on a projection path. This kid was already a good kid. He was already doing the right things, but it even exploded. Like the best example I can say about him was he's graduating from high school two days in December because he was an early enrolling. And he's graduated from high school that Friday, taking his last final exams that Friday. That Wednesday afternoon in the weight room, he's teaching a sophomore the correct way to squat and why his squats were wrong and helping them and spotting him. And Mm. that's culture. That's indicative of putting your team on the right path. When your best player is helping a kid squat, the kid is going to look more to him than he will to me. Because mm-hmm. uh, you're the coach, yeah, 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 yada yada. But this kid's mm-hmm. going to Clemson. I want to go to Clemson one day, and so um, that's that. Those are the things that you have to get back to.
0: You talk about the sledgehammer, coach. I love that. Um, and then I, I used, to, I remember being in high school and watching uh, videos from Georgia Tech. I think it was their chaplain, but he had a whole a whole thing about uh, them being the the sledgehammer and and bringing it down. And that was um, you, you kind of gave me a little bit of chills just remembering that video. So. Um, I think that's a great one.
1: Yeah, and I mean it, it ties into you know everything, and I, and I you know it's it's a we we haven't reached nirvana. It's a, it's a yet and newton, but we understand that. But for the most part, it's you see a lot of you know we have a lot of good things happening, and that's because of even uh, the culture will carry us farther. You know, it's and you, and you guys understand what I'm talking about, and, and, and the players even more important than what you run on offense, defense, and special teams. And, you know, every year I do it now at our banquet, I have kids. I said, any kid in our program, I've been able to do it for the last two years, uh, three years, so that's been kind of cool. I say, if Newton has missed the playoffs any year you've been in high school, stand up. No kid stands up. So now when I first got to Newton, we talked about the importance of making the playoffs trying to host the first-round playoffs at home. We don't even mention that anymore hmm. because it's, it's, it's a new standard. We know we expect to get there. Now we've got to get back out. So, you know, what I did, because we hadn't been at the first round of playoffs the last two years, I went and got the, the, the region champion and the region runner-up trophy out the trophy case and took them, took them to morning weight training. And I had these kid hold it and look at it and pass it around.
2: That's awesome. I just think, I mean, Coach, when you, when you talk about your, your kids and I know you just, just knowing you, kind of, you know, talking to you and knowing you through Twitter, I know you're a, a guy that, that likes to kind of be on the cutting edge and, and wants to learn different things. Uh, you know, what are, what are some characteristics you, yourself, you know, you kind of want to model for your kids? And what are some things that, that maybe you're telling them to, to kind of set the tone for that culture? Because, honestly, it's hard to lead if, if you're not practicing what you preach.
1: Well, you know, the biggest thing, wow, and, and so I don't, <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this. I'm sure he won't. But much as far as <laughs> my father, my father is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. So he was a disciplined guy. He was, um, his language wasn't always the best when I was growing up towards us when he wanted us to do things. And he was a very stern disciplinarian. And that's how I was raised. And when I first became a coach, I was a lot like that. Now I'm not as much. Um, I believe that – and, and, and I, I truly believe in the fact that coaches, our job is to love our players. That's mm-hmm. the number one thing we do. And so even you get to – I'm about to get a little P.J. Flecky, it's just that's even a word. We, we <laughs> have defined at Newton what love means. And if you were to ask any of my kids, they would say that love means sacrifice. So what are you sacrificing to show love? And so, and, and so I want my kids – my job is to love my kids. My kids' job is to love each other. So we show them sacrifice. So even to the point of where today is spring break and it's me and two other coaches taking 12 kids to watch football practice. Because on spring break, it doesn't matter. I love those kids. And so I've got to sacrifice some of my time, put the seven-year-old in the car, and he's got to come watch football practice. Because that may be the only chance they get in the near future to go see a college practice. So you have to do those things. And you have to, you have to, to model that and what you are doing. and even still, I, I take it all the time. One thing that I've been doing this year, I made a commitment to myself to to read twelve books this offseason, this this year, not obviously, this this whole year. Nice. And I'm going into book number six. Actually, I'm kind, of, I've, I've cheated. I've read two football books. I didn't really want to read two football books, <laughs> but I did. I cheated. Um, I read the Cody Alexander. Um, four two five book, which was cool because I'm an a guy, but it's yep. definitely great to know how they're thinking because if you don't know how, and I used to be a I used to be a defensive coordinator, so if you don't know how the other side of the ball is thinking, you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. And then um my plan was to read another book, and then here comes the with adapt die. And so about that, I read it in a day. So it was. So that didn't really take. Any, that didn't really take any long. So, um, I read so, that one today, and I can move on to something else starting with spring break.
2: But we so always that one's tell wor- our kids to. That one's worth it. I just got it in the mail today, so I, it was a good purchase.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> so, we always tell our kids to get better in the off season. so it's we as coaches have to get better. And Amen. the number one thing you can do that outside of skiing is really, yes, spend time on skiing, but. Get read read books get better and just don't read football books read books about leadership and culture because ultimately if you and it and it sounds crazy but I I really believe it's this simple if you're willing to do what other teams talk about and don't do you're gonna be successful that. that doesn't mean that you're gonna win a state championship this year next year the year after next no it means successful to find successful and. I don't, you know, we're going from win one at Newton because I believe that, and so some people say, "Well, oh, coach, you're talking crazy," but no, I believe that. I don't know when it's going to be, but I do know this, and I said it when I got the job. Somewhere along the line, I stopped believing it, so I had to. just stop believing? I got focused off of it, and I said, and I said this when I got the job, "Hey, all I go here is to make the playoffs every year. Eventually, you're going to have a year where you're going to make that run." Well, we keep making the playoffs, and eventually, we're going to have a year where we get back to the third round of playoffs, then the fourth round, and then the state championship game. You just got to keep your culture going. And so that's kind of been the, the thing that I think as coaches, you got to give to your kids. You want your kids to lift weights, get higher GPA, get stronger, learn more. What are you doing? Are you doing the same thing?
0: You talk about reading uh, a bunch of books, Coach. I was listening to a podcast, and that's kind of what got us into um, – we partner with Audible, which is like, a, um, you know, um, whatever, audiobooks. Right, so we partnered with them, but kind of the reason was I was listening to a podcast one time, and and this guy talked about how he had interviewed however many, a hundred, whatever, two hundred different Fortune five hundred company, um, you know, managers or whatever it was, and and how like the majority, ninety five percent of them were reading, like you said, ten books or more a year, and just how well that correlated to all of these successful people. They were all about people that you would think kind of made it. Right, but they were still reading, still trying to learn even more. So that was kind of a, a big eye opener for me.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's you know that's kind of where I'm at. Even with you know what I'm kind of been doing on Twitter now with the daily clinics, I, I ask those questions so I can learn from guys. I think you know Twitter might be the biggest free professional development for any. Body, whether you're a coach, whether you, you know, I'm a math teacher, and I and I still learn math. We have professional development on it. I think it's it can be used for so many things, and even still with reading, you can learn. You never stop learning, and even if you think it's not useful today, it'll come back up into your mind, and bam. You know, it's useful. It's like, it's so much good stuff that I can't, you know, your you guys podcast the stuff that Keith Gabrowski is doing, run making. I can't even keep up with all of the good stuff <laughs> that's out. So, and I, but I think, you know, you can pick, you can pick one or two tidbits up. It can change um, any, everything and make you better. And you'll get the tidbits you need along the way. So.
0: Well, coach, when you're looking to, to hire you know, certain coaches, I'm sure you've hired a few different coaches throughout your time as being a head coach. Um, what are some things that you look at when you're hiring coaches? Because it does sound like you are so involved in obviously, you know, a ton of football, but also about, you know, the leadership qualities behind your your athletes. So I'm sure you are uh, with your coaches as well. So what are some things that you're looking at or some questions you ask maybe to these coaches that interview for jobs on your staff?
1: Well, I, I think you have to find a couple things. You have to find out a, hey, how, what that guy's passion really is, and you can ask several different questions through that. I think you need to make sure, need to understand, is he willing to sacrifice for for your for your program, not for you, for the kids, because that, that to us equals love. Um, mm-hmm. If he's not, so you can find that out by understanding. Hey, tell me about your family. What are some things you do with your family? You know, things of that nature. How do you spend your time? And then you got to, you have to, You can, to me, you can hear the hunger and passion in somebody's voice. And I think, you know, you need guys that have a balance between wanting to be Chiefs, but also are good Indians. And so, I, and I, I mean, we've hired, you know, I've had some coaches who, I like it when a coach brings me something new and different. No, we may not run that because that doesn't fit us. But at the same time, like you said, you kind of get old and and stuck in your ways, and you know, um, it's, it's, it's good to to hear those uh, those fresh those fresh ideas and, and things of that nature. So you need those two things around. The football part comes easy. You can hire somebody who can become a, a good wide receiver coach, a good running back. You know, you hire a guy and you need a quarterback coach and he don't know how to coach quarterbacks, you can go buy him Dog on Darren Slat, the Maddox DVD and give it to him. You can take him to, you know, you, if you hire a guy and he's not good at DB, you can go buy out a DVD uh, training videos you want to, Nick Saban, yada yada. You can teach him drills and, and coverage and all that stuff. But is he going to be passionate about what he's doing and is he going to invest in those kids and is he willing to go above and beyond? If they're not able to do that, then hey, fanta- you know, you're not going to be very well. If you're in, if you're, you know, if you're in, in Nebraska and you need to be a better O line coach, then hey, you can go visit Nebraska and figure that out. If you're in Oklahoma and if you're Oklahoma, you want to run the spread, well, guess what? Everybody's running the spread. You can go to Southwest Oklahoma, you can go to Oklahoma, you can go to Oklahoma State. You can find anybody to do what it is you're doing, so you can become a better coach from that part. But it, what kind of effort and love and intention are you going to give? I want my guy I like it you know I like it when my position coach argues with me I don't think that guy's a good football player I don't want him in the game and he says I know coach he's going to play and here's why. That kind of passion. Mm-hmm. You are the head coach You joke about it but it's true you're the head coach of your position I need to be listening to you and so those are the type of things that I think you need you know in your program and then you know somebody who's going to extend your culture if you got a, if you got an energy vampire or somebody who don't want to extend your culture and your program, you got to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Buy in, a, a get out.
0: That's great. That's the first thing Walls said because I asked him the same question. I was just one of them, you know my first year coaching, and it was our off season, so I was getting to talk to him. I always thought very highly of Walls, and and that was the very first thing that he said was what you said. You know, find if they have a passion, do they love football?
2: I it it, it really bothers me, Coach. When, if if I have to be a head coach and and you have to motivate your coaches. You know, I mean, how annoying is that when you're coaching guys and you're like, man, I got enough problems with, you know, leading a position group and trying to call plays, and all of a sudden I got to find out, hey, how come you didn't do this or how come you didn't do that? I mean, you shouldn't have to motivate your coaches, period, right?
1: Right. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you say that because one of the things that we believe in and we said over here at Newton is we say uh, protect the end. And what that means is that nobody is more important than the end. That's me, that's the assistants, that's the players, even the ones that become big time. Because at the end of the day, if I leave Newton tomorrow and somebody else is coming in, Newton is still going to be there. That's the pride that we talk about. Pride Mm -hmm. means to protect the end. And so if I got to to convince a coach to have pride in his position, it's a problem. And then, you know, for us, commitment means he's going one and no every day. And we can't have that. And then, of course, you, like we also you can't coach effort. We have a – for example, if you were to go on Twitter right now, um, we have a loaf policy. And I'm sure you guys – we have a loaf policy at Newton. And the loaf policy is not just for players. It's for coaches. <laughs> right. coaches me. And there, there's some things that – you know, and people will laugh and say, this should never happen, but I know it's happened somewhere. At Newton, you're not – coaches are not allowed to answer the phone on the practice field. If it's a That's emergency, awful. you got to get off the field to answer the phone. If not, you're loafing. Because when you step in between them white lines, you're just like the kids. Your devoted effort has to be 100% to that.
2: Yeah How, how, can, you, how can you possibly hold – I mean, think, think of the military, right? Your dad was a military guy. You're a Navy SEAL. If all of a sudden, you know, the, the general or the, the head of the entire brigade has a different standard than everybody else. He just changed the entire standard. So, I mean, for, for a coach to to not want to better himself and to not want to, to be improving himself, as, as you'd said a few minutes ago, I mean, to me, it just baffles me because that'll be the same coach that sits in the weight room and he'll complain about a kid not working hard. You know, that kid just doesn't <laughs> lift very hard. And I'm like, you don't work very hard. You've been here one day this week, right? And then now you're in here bagging on kids. It, it just bothers the heck out of me because it's a simple fix, but... Some of those guys just can't see it. It's 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 brutal.
1: Yeah, and and I think that's you know that's 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 amazing, and you have to you have to as the head coach, I got to coach. You do have to coach coach or son, but effort and intent can't be one of those things. You have to make sure that you get them heavily involved um, in your culture, and so.
0: Well, coach, we're we're kind of winding down on on one hour, so this has been amazing. But um, kind of mm-hmm. the last question, I I I end every. Every um, interview, if you will, with is if you're watching an offensive line play, you know, someone else's offensive line and, and you're watching them, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach?
1: Well, I think the communication between the offensive linemen. And I, and I think that's big. When you watch offensive linemen, how do they communicate to each other when they're, when they're working? How do they treat each other? How do they you know, drill work. So if I'm going to, if I'm coming to watch you guys play and I'm there to scout you and I'm there pregame, how do your kids, how do your offensive linemen come out the locker room? Do half of them come out, come out with the Jersey high and the shoulder pads, not tucked? Do they all walk out looking uniform when they get to the line? What do they do when you're watching the game? What's the communication like, you know, if uh, if, the, if somebody's running a 3-4 and that guy walks up, how does the left tackle communicate to the left guard about what's going on when the quarterback makes the check? Those things. More importantly, when your running back is running five, is running downfield, what are your offensive linemen doing? Are they running downfield to look for that extra block? Do they help them up? Things of that nature. Anytime you're watching somebody's offensive line, you, you're watching for that because you can spot out, Don't, you know, you're always looking to see what's the weak link. How can you, you know, how can you maybe get into something? But when they're cohesive in a unit, it makes it, it makes it hard. So I think what is even the we – we've been saying this all the last hour. What is the culture? What is the behavior of your offensive line? How do they behave together? How do they behave when you're speaking to them? How do they behave definitely when you're definitely not speaking to them? That says a lot about
2: that unit. Love it. Coach, man, I I could sit here and talk with you for for two hours. This is uh, some great stuff. I'm I'm getting fired up. I need to get a, get on a plane and come down to Atlanta and let's let's go to the uh, to the end. I wanna I wanna learn some more ball from you, man. Appreciate you coming on.
1: See, it needs to be the other way, man. I need to I need to come out to 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 Oklahoma and Texas and and you know and it's amazement. I mean, you you don't know this, and I'm sure that I, I you guys. Uh, what's the channel out there? I think it's Cox TV. You guys have. When I'm at home on a Friday night and we have a bye week or even when they record them and they do the games of the week, um, I go back and watch them, man. I I love when um, (laughs) – I I love it when Broken Arrow plays Jinx. I will – when they record that game and Cox puts it up on on demand, I will get online on the internet and I will watch that to the end. I I think you guys play – While you guys may not have the the same number of schools that we have here in Georgia. And, you know, Texas is still – I think all the time. Georgia football is just as good as Texas. Texas, the rapidness of the fans is a lot better, but mm-hmm. I think Oklahoma is in that next tier. And it's just the number of schools that I think what people don't think of. But you know, when you watch those games, the passion from the coaches, from the kids, the crowd. I that's, that's you know that's kind of my my you know I, I'm telling everybody this so not everybody would do it, but that's one of my guilty pleasures. Um, is is getting on Cox and and watching the games on the internet that they've recorded and, and just watching them. Cause I, I learn new stuff from you guys. I'm a football junkie. I don't, <laughs> that's all I do. So um, <laughs> you, can, you can learn stuff that way. So I probably need to come out there. I probably could, you know, visit three or four schools and, and bring home notebooks full of information.
2: <laughs> well, it's always going to be an open invite, man. I'm I'm telling you, we uh, we're able to kind of sniff out the football junkies and I followed you on Twitter for a long time. And, I know, I know we've had some, some interactions. I know you always put up some good stuff, and you've always been a, a really good thinker of the game, and you ask really good questions. So it was, it was kind of a no-brainer to have you on. But anytime you need any film, man, or you want to sit down and talk ball, let's do it. I'm all for it. Yes, sir. That works for me.
0: And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.